This is New York. This is New York. This is New York. This is New York, a podcast from DNAinfo.com. I'm Gwen Hogan. This week's story comes from Midtown, the dreaded Midtown. The traffic, the tourists, the towering buildings, the mediocre food. It's basically a wasteland, right? So here with me today to talk about how Midtown is the worst and why it's the worst is our editor, Matt Katz. Matt is a former editor of ours who'd been with us for four years, first covering Midtown, Chelsea, and Hell's Kitchen as a reporter, then as an editor. Anyway, here he is. Thanks for joining me, Matt. How's it going? It's going okay, although we're in Midtown. (laughs) It's true. It's true. We started off on a bad foot. (laughs) Unfortunately. So can you tell me, Matt, um, how long have you hated Midtown for? Pretty much, I'm not going to say my entire life, but not long after I first moved to the city, I realized that, you know, Times Square, all that stuff that you see in the movies, not the best. Actually, the worst. So when did you first move here? That would be back in 2008, and I think I immediately walked through Times Square and hated it pretty much right away. (laughs) Yeah, that is, it's definitely like a uniting factor, I think, among people that have to work here every day, like both you and me. Um, Why, how did it, how long has it sucked for? Why is it so terrible? Why do we hate it so much? I think it's a combination of, we have to, especially if you work here, you have to come here every day, which is never fun. I mean, no one really likes the office. But you're also surrounded by tourists who love it and love things about it that you hate about it the bustle the busyness the really awful food it's kind of both a a source of pride for the tourists and a source of disgust for us Uh, and i think that a lot of midtown is is kept afloat a lot of the worst parts of midtown are kept afloat by the tourists that come here as opposed to the people who actually live here and come here to work every day So can you tell me in all the years that you've covered the neighborhood and now as an editor for the reporters that cover this neighborhood, have you ever come across anybody who doesn't hate hate it? Real estate developers. Real estate developers love Midtown because they can always build a new building or expand a building or rent it out to some office or anything like that. And the tourists, especially, you know, tourists from really small places, they come here, they think it's the greatest thing in the world. I can see that in small little bits and pieces. They might like that. But one of the things, you know, covering this area that I realized a long time ago, uh, I used to cover Community Board 5, which covers Midtown, along with Community Board 4, which is Chelsea and Hell's Kitchen. And all the people who are in Community Board 5 don't actually live in Midtown. They're largely business owners, real estate developers, and those are the least passionate Community Board meetings you'll ever go to, as opposed to you go to Community Board 4, with this, which is Chelsea and Hell's Kitchen, and it's people who actually live there, have lived there for 20, 30 years, and really, really care about their neighborhood. People don't really care about Midtown unless they have some sort of financial investment in it. And in the years that you've covered it, has there been sort of like, these things are obvious to a lot of us who work here. It's terrible for all these reasons. Um, Have you ever come across any surprises, things that you really didn't expect in the neighborhood? Besides the stinky puddles, um, which is a great story we did a few years ago. Can you tell me about the stinky puddles? So this is actually a story in a map that we did a few years ago. A reporter who used to cover Midtown, a good friend of mine, Jill Colvin, uh, realized that for some reason Midtown has uh, 
maybe a dozen stinky puddles. And these are puddles that don't just form when it rains. They're there all the time. And they smell. They're full of weird chemicals. Um, and I don't know why, but for some reason they're here and not many other places in the city. If you go back and look, and we'll probably link to it in this podcast, there's a map of where they are. And if you go on that map, I want to say maybe 10 of those puddles are still around now, like three years later. It's kind of insane. Besides the stinky puddles, there are a couple of other things that are sort of surprising. I mean, some people, the, the most surprising thing to me are the people that are trying to make Midtown better, and there are a few. I think food trucks are doing some of the best work in Midtown because they're fighting against sort of that crappy Midtown deli where you go and get a really disappointing salad. Um, they come here and they provide much better food for a much lower price point than a lot of the different places that you'll find. Um, you know, there's a couple of other good things about Midtown. Mom is here, and that's a great place to go, especially on a rainy or, like, quiet day if you can avoid the tourists. But otherwise, like, it's, it's too, many, too many people you do not want to see being fascinated by something while you are generally miserable. That's about all we have time for, Matt. <laughs> We're going to end on that note. That was really great. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, anytime. I love hating on Midtown. So Midtown sucks, we get it. But this episode's story is about Midtown's unicorn, a thing that doesn't suck. In fact, it's pretty magical. After the office buildings have cleared out, when the chain eateries close up shop, something happens here every Monday night that lasts into the wee hours of the morning, and it's wonderful. It's called Vogue Nights. It starts off a lot like a night at any other club. People slowly trickle in, some dance in the center, others mingle around the bar. But then, at about 2 in the morning, it morphs into an informal voguing ball, where dancers duke it out until 5 or 6 in the morning in front of a big crowd of cheering spectators. Voguing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a style of dance that cropped up in the 80s, mostly danced by young, gay, and trans men of color. There were balls, these elaborate dance-offs, where dancers would compete in different categories, But the ballroom scene, as it's called, extended far beyond just dancing. It became an elaborate social structure where dancers belong to houses and become like adoptive families with dozens or even hundreds of members, all governed by a mother and a father who mentor new people on the scene. Decades later, voguing is alive and well, and the ballroom scene has evolved. There are balls held across the city and the country for that matter, where there's fierce competition and spectacular costumes. But every single Monday night, there's this informal ball. It's like a practice ball for the more structured ones, right here in Midtown. Luna Khan is one of two old school Voguers who hosts Vogue nights every week. He'll be your guide. He's the father of the House of Khan, and he runs the show. Uh, right now, you are at Vogue Night at the legendary Escolita Club in the middle of Times Square. What's it going to be like tonight? Well, one never knows, but normally it's a lot of energy, a lot of competition, and a whole lot of fun. My name is Luna, L-U-N-A, Khan, K-H-A-N. I'm the overall father of the House of Khan. Vogue Nights are, uh, on 39th Street in Midtown, that's a weekly party that we have every Monday. It's basically just a club setting with voguing music for Vogueurs. Between 11 and 1, people are just showing up and stretching. You got your wristband? Go ahead. 
actually it looks like a dance studio <laughs> because people are stretching they're like you know posing and doing that things kind of warming up then around 1 32 o'clock the lights go boop. dj everybody runs like roaches and <laughs> they get their spot and you know they stand there all night looking at all the amazing competition has anybody never ever ever in their life Walked and always wanted to. Hey, Kaiju. All right. It becomes sort of a ball. It's basically just a, a celebration of ballroom culture and voguing. Voguing is, is an art form where you express yourself. So no two people vogue the same way. How would you describe your style? I would say pretty much personality driven and very acrobatic. I bring classic fashion, okay? Elegant lady. Animated, off the back, animated. I would call it Hollywood. I would call it a Hollywood dance. Watching how Betty Davis would move and the way she moved her hand when she would smoke a cigarette or light it. I've been connected to House and Ball since 1988. That's when I first came through. It was actually walking to the village and I stumbled upon people dancing and doing like what I know is voguing now, but back then I was like, you know, what is this? I was probably about 16, 17 years old and usually that's the age where people find the scene. I was looking for a gay man to teach me what it's like to be a gay man. My father's a straight man. <laughs> you know, there's whole different rules when you're straight. When you're gay, there's things that you need to learn. A house parent sort of becomes your parent in a way and, you know, make you a responsible adult. Can you tell me your name and what house you're in? I'm Apollo and I'm in the house of Aphrodite. My name is Corinne and I'm in the International House of Icon. Uh, I'm Natasha Khan and I've been in House of Khan, I would say, like four years. House of La Perla. La Perla is where it's at. The House of um, Ultra Army. Yeah, I'm at House of um, Revlon. Legendary, iconic House of Revlon. With my house, I love the fact that, you know, we're like a family. It's a family. So it's um, people uh, you love to spend time with beyond dancing. It's very, very much family oriented. Like um, the House of Revlon is not really just about, you know, the balls and the parties and all that. People that doesn't have a home to go to or, you know, moms just don't accept the type of lifestyle they live, like with their forms. Family. Growing up in Ukraine, if you're older than five years old, nobody's gonna look at you as a dancer anymore. So when I came here and I was like um, almost 30 years old, I find out that there are school for adults. There was a competition for house dance and one of the categories was Vogue. I was really mesmerized. With the ballroom scene, it offers an opportunity for everybody and anybody to walk. Straight, gay, wh whatever, whatever you are. It's funny, every time that we leave the club, people are going to work. Because <laughs> it's like four or five in the morning. New York always has the underworld. This is New York, and this is only one little piece.
Music this episode comes from The Silent Partner and Eggenheimer. If you want to get in touch with me or you think there's something podcastable happening on your corner, I'd love to hear about it. You can reach me on Twitter at at Gwyn Fitz, that's G-W-Y-N-N-E-F-I-T-Z, or you can find my email address on the DNA Info website. This is New York is a podcast from DNAinfo.com. I'm Gwen Hogan, and thanks so much for listening. 